Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Series uh, called Outrageous Faith. I want to thank you if you've listened already so far and if you've listened online as well. Uh, this is the third the third and final part, oh, we've got a bit of trouble. <laughs> the third and final part, um, which I want to focus on today. And I want to, I really believe that God just placed this word in my heart. It's actually a challenging word for this time of the year. Um, and it's something that I kind of debated whether to, to speak on just around this time. But um, if you turn with me in your Bible to Second Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. Probably the best thing this morning is I'm going to be referencing quite a bit from the Message Bible. You can follow in your own Bibles if you like, but the scripture should come up on the screen. Um, I want to focus on the message because there's sometimes I like to choose the message if it emphasizes in certain way what I'm trying to get across. And I believe in this, on this occasion it does. Uh, so that will come up on the screen. So please feel free to read from there. Just a recap on last week, what I spoke on last week, and I talked about in this outrageous faith series, I talked about the fear and our future of stepping out in faith for God. For God to, I believe, every single person, every one of us have got a destiny, we have a purpose, and for us to fulfill it, as I spoke about on the first week, we have to live by faith. The righteous, it says, shall live by faith. It means you're going to live in the unseen. You're going to operate in things sometimes that you don't see the appearance of it straight away. It's quite a scary thing to do. And last week I talked about and looked at the story of Jesus on the shore, speaking to the people and then crossing over and then the storm hits. And the storms that came that tested, they didn't just come uh, just because the enemy sent a storm, but they came and I believe they allowed a test to come upon those disciples and the ones in that scene to see where their faith stood. I talked about being ready for such trials, to be ready for the trials that might come. Some of us think that as soon as we step into God's will, there should be no trial. There shouldn't be any problems. In fact, it should be quite straightforward. In fact, actually, it's quite the opposite. Because I believe it's all about our character building. It's what God wants to do in our lives. I think part of the, I mentioned last week, part of that is that fear is the biggest thing that's going to rob you of your faith. The enemy wants to take away your faith. He wants to take the ability you have to believe in something that you cannot see. I mean, he's going to question at every single corner. He's going to get you to question whether or not, because you cannot see if it's really true. And I want to encourage you that if we're the righteous are going to live by faith, then you're going to have to build yourselves up to live this lifestyle. It's going to be something that it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen just after a three-week series that, oh yeah, we've done a three-week series, now we've got enough faith, let's rock on, let's go for it. 
In fact, actually, it's far more than that. I want to encourage you stepping into 2015 to try and live by faith in a greater measure. That can be in lots of different aspects, more than what I've spoken already. Today, part three, the title of the message is Funded by Faith. Funded by Faith. Yep, this message is about money. It's about giving. What a time to do a message about giving when we're just about to get to Christmas. Boy, oh boy, do I know about it. The presents keep getting more every year with the kids. I said to Emma the other day, I said, it seems like Jacob gets less because the presents get more expensive. They get bigger and it's just ridiculous. And we live in this society today where Christmas sometimes for us, it's a scary thing. It comes up, we actually can't wait to get to the other side of it. Forget the religious aspects because it is a very difficult financial time of the year. But. I believe that this is something that God wants to speak to us today about as a church. Because I believe that as a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, you have the best sponsor behind you. When I used to work in my company previous to this, they used to talk about people coming to work for the company who were sponsored by other companies or other places to be there to work. Sometimes people will come to universities here and they will be sponsored by companies to do things. When you operate and live in the kingdom of God and you live by faith, you have the greatest sponsor behind you, backing you. Some of us forget this sometimes. We think, no, we're on our own. But you have the greatest sponsor. And the reason why I've titled this message today is because if you operate by faith, you will be funded through your lifestyle. He will fund you and sponsor you to operate. It's an amazing thing. Let's just pick up. And in the message, I would encourage you to read off the screen in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 20. This bit of scripture is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. And he's referring a lot to the Macedonian church. The church is in the province of Macedonia. So he's referencing about another church, but he's telling the church in Corinth about them. And it's all about giving. He says this, Now friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. It's a bit like last week's, isn't it? When they were on the ship. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. An outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there, says Paul. I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. 
What explains it, Paul says, was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving, that's the giving of giving to the poor, simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. That's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention. The relief offering is a relief offering for Jerusalem. He's talking about not the outer court project, but the Jerusalem project. He's talking about a relief project in Jerusalem. So that what was so well begun could be finished up. He's talking about that offering. The way it started, it was going so well. He says this to the Corinth church. You do so well in so many things. You trust God. You're articulate. You're insightful. You're passionate. You love us now. Do your best in this too. I'm not trying to order, order you around against your will, says Paul, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring the best out of you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us, amen. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. Paul says this to finish. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year. That's the offering, this Jerusalem project. Start what you did last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish it up. So go to it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. Amen. Amen. Praise God. A message about giving. You probably, we won't get many downloads, I don't think, on this one on the website. I should have just changed the title. But this is, just, I think it's so key for us to hear this because a life of faith, I've met so many people through my life. I've got aunties and uncles, people in my family who have talked to me and said, they've talked about giving for God and seeing God provide for them. Some outrageous testimonies, amazing testimonies of when they've given and God has blessed them. You know, in a, in a, in a day today, it's so easy to get wrapped up into this kind of gimme, 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 and I'm not going to give anything back. Whatever we can get from work, whatever we can get into our bank account, we're never going to try and give this out. We need to make sure we look after number one. Well, yes, we should look after number one. But Jesus came, didn't he, with a message of servanthood. He came with a message that says, I'm going to wash people's feet. I'm going to put others before me. I love it when I read the book of Acts, when you see the church beginning. You see all the way through there that it says they sold their possessions. 
to make sure others were okay. The, one of the key reasons why is they were trying to stimulate equality amongst the believers. To not see anyone with, without anything. Maybe we have a lot to learn from Acts. We like the signs and wonders. We like to say, come on, read the book of Acts and look at what they did and they laid their hands on the sick. We don't want to talk about, hey, look at what they did. They gave all their things away. No, we don't like that as much. But it is key, isn't it? Paul says to them this, he says, you do so well in so many things. He's talking to the Corinth church here. He says, you trust God. You're articulate, you're insightful, and you're passionate people. But yet, it's almost like they've neglected this very thing. What is the most interesting thing is this, that the Macedonian churches, the province of Macedonia, if you look into it, they were poorer than Corinth. But yet, they were the ones who were giving away. They were the ones who were desiring to add this particular characteristic. I don't know if they were doing some of the other things. Paul might have gone to them and said, you know, you're giving, you're doing all these things, but you're not so good in this area. No church is perfect. You'll never find one. But Paul is just encouraging. He's not telling them off. He says, I'm not coming to tell you off. I'm coming to tell you that these characteristics, it's important that you also include giving. As well. The first thing I want to say today is number one is this that trials produce treasure. Trials produce treasure. Paul says that the Macedonian people faced major trials. They were not only poor, they're not only without lack. So you might be saying today, do you know what? There's churches around here. They've got lots of money. They, they, I'm, a, I'm struggling. I'm a struggling person. I've got my trials. I've got things going on in my life that if only people understood. Well, join the club. Because <laughs> we've all got trials. The Macedonian churches in this province had trials. He says this that we read, fierce troubles, this sounds pretty fierce, doesn't it? Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. Do you feel this morning like you are pushed to the limit sometimes? You are pushed to the very limit with what you can do. You're saying, Lord, I thought I was a Christian. I've, I've joined, joined the whole congregation. I'm part of this. Lord, I'm giving everything to you. But Lord, why is it I'm pushed to the very limit? The trial, it says, exposed their true colors. It's very similar language to what happened on the, on the boat. When they wanted to give themselves to God for their destiny or where they wanted to go, their true colors emerged. I love this bit though. It says, they were incredibly happy. But desperately poor. Take that. Look at them words. The next time you come in and you look discouraged saying, this is going wrong, these things are going wrong. He says they were, they were extremely poor, but they were extremely happy. Wow. They were a happy people. The trial in the literal Greek, what's used in this bit of scripture, it says a great testing of affliction. That's what it was. Wow, I'll tell you what. 
I'm not sure just some of the things I describe sometimes are a great testing of affliction. It's, it describes it as a great test of affliction. If you read just a little bit early on to where we've read in the previous chapter in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks about visiting Macedonia. He talks about visiting the Macedonian province church, what I'm talking about. These ones who were suffering such trials. He says this, that they were actually suffering persecution. And he says this, there were conflicts on the outside and fears within us. That's what Paul describes visiting the church. I'm not sure, you might like to go to the revivals all around the world and say, I had an amazing time, we flew out. Paul went there and this is what he comes back with. He says, conflicts on the outside and fears within us. You wouldn't want to go to that revival, would you? This was full of persecution, but yet desperately poor. They were so happy to give. Wow. He was telling the Corinth church, he's saying, you know, you're so good in all these things, but look at your friends over in Macedonia. They're really, really struggling. They're persecuted. They're having serious problems. In fact, when I went there back in the previous chapter, I told you when I went there, it was so bad. We were scared stiff. There were fears within us, conflicts on the outside. You can imagine it. He was probably thinking when they were there, there were persecution happening outside while the worship's going on. But yet, what I was amazed by is that they still gave, and abundantly too. When trials come your way, the last thing you want to do is give. You want to hold on and the enemy wants us to anchor on to that, that um, our funds. He wants us to think that that is the very thing that's going to preserve you. And keep you till the day Jesus comes. He wants you to anchor on to your riches. He wants you to anchor on to that which is in your bank account. Because if you speak to most people, most people would say, when I used to work with them, everyone talks about what we need in our accounts for the future. We need to have this for a pension. We need to prepare ourselves. The best pension you could ever have is to live in the kingdom of God. Is to give into that kingdom. It is the best financial plan you'll ever have. I've never had a financial advisor. But it is the best future for you. You have to be wise as well. There's nothing wrong with financial advice. These things are absolutely brilliant. Don't go away from here saying that Phil's given me financial advice. I used to ask people at my work, I'd say, what would you do with this? Would you, would you put your pension bit into this pot or this? They say, I can't speak to you because I would be giving you financial advice. I'm thinking, please, somebody tell me. I've got no idea what to do. Everyone's scared of advising. Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. That is the best promise you're going to get. You will not find that in any plan from the HSBC. There are other banks. NatWest, they do good mortgages. If you'd like to see someone, speak to Jaron afterwards. Santander also, I'd like to mention all. But The best thing that's in the little small print of any financial future for you is that Jesus says that he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. 
And it comes right off that line. Be free from the love of money. I want to remind you here. It doesn't say be free from money. Money is not the problem. It's the love of money that's the issue. It's the love of money. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. I want to ask you today, question yourselves. Where is your treasure? Because you'll find your heart's right there next to it. It's sat right next to the treasure. Where is it? We should be content, the writer of Hebrews says. Be content with what we have. Because God won't leave us. I sometimes think if we don't operate in this, and we are loving money, we are holding on to this anchor, is God going to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retract from you and let you fall to let you see that you need to come back to me? That's why sometimes I think these trials come. Someone once said to me about giving and tithing, they said, I've been tithing for years. Loads of problems happen. Why haven't all the problems gone away? And I'm thinking, what? As though they expect that by tithing they will be problem free from everything. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Trials will come to test you. These people gave, but yet they had persecution. They probably had people beating on the windows of the Macedonian churches, even though they were giving their cash. I want to tell you today, whatever trials come your way, whatever problems, these things sometimes are going to come even when you're giving. Even when you're saying, Lord, I've given, but this has gone wrong. This is another thing gone wrong. I'm having to pay for this now. It's all part of your journey. Believers should welcome these tests. You say, no, no, no. I don't want to welcome these tests. I want these tests to be gone. Jesus Christ, he, he blesses me. He gives me abundance. Well, he wasn't giving them abundance. He wasn't giving this church abundance. They were poor, but yet they gave. We should welcome such tests. The message puts it like this, we read. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. An outpouring, that sounds pretty, pretty big. An outpouring of pure and generous gifts. In other words, the pressure from the persecution and the poverty produced this desire to give. I want to ask you today, has that ever happened for you? When problems come, do the problems produce the desire or do they make you go back to the bank account and hang on to it? Or do they produce and do what it says in the message that it's triggered in these believers who were strong in their faith? It, it, it triggers. The pressure of these problems triggered to give. Sometimes I believe we can give our way out of trouble. We can give our way in the kingdom of God. The more we get, give it away. The more we get, give it to someone who needs it. We all have a lesson to learn in this, don't we? But this is key. I'm sorry if this is not the message you wanted to hear today in outrageous faith. Maybe I could have preached on praying for the sick and seeing the, you know, our faith and seeing people get healed. Yeah, I'll probably do that one day, but I really believe this is key. 
In fact, I think the more we operate in this kind of stuff, God will reward us and we'll see even more happening in our lives. Because it's about our lifestyle, who we are, what we believe in, who we trust in. This is the faith that we should desire. Paul says in verse 4, the Macedonians, they pleaded. This is amazing. They pleaded for the privilege to give. They pleaded. He says, he's saying to the Corinth church, you know when I was in Macedonia last, the other week, I was over there, it was terrible, we were really scared, we were in the church, and it was really, really bad, there's lots of persecution and problems, but do you know what? They were pleading to give. They were looking for opportunity to give. Some of us only look for the opportunities when it's all nice and rosy. When we got the bonus in from work. Ha, yeah, we got the bonus. I'm going to show. I'm going to give now. God's looking for us to release that love of money. I don't know about you, but when these trials come, they really are producing a treasure in you if you let them do their work. Sometimes we've got no idea what's going on, have we? We think, why has this happened to me? F- several years ago when I worked in the old job, I one morning I was, I can't remember what it was, but I went to uh, Ridgins Building Supplies. There are other places, Travis Perkins and other. I went to Ridgins one morning. I said, I'm going to go there before, in the car, before I go to work. So I was really early in the morning, about 8 o'clock, to get something because there was a problem, I think, with something in the house. Something had broken. You know it. You know what it's like. Something breaks down. It's going to cost money. We've got it happening in our house all the time. It's like another thing goes wrong. Last week I had the, the washing machine out, the dishwasher. There was water all over the floor. I thought, what is going on here? Trying to repair it. Emma's saying, what are you doing? Things go wrong. This morning I went to try and buy something from Ridgens to fix it. And I went in there. I looked around and I never ended up finding the thing I needed. So I came back out, got into the car, and I went to exit out of Ridgens. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but as I left to go out of Ridgens, I drove up to the ramp to leave. And as I drove up to the ramp to leave, the car went boom. And so I reversed back again. I thought, I'll try again. Boom. Second time, then I looked down at the front, realized I was going in through the entrance where the spikes were and they just pressed into my tires and wrecked the whole front of the car. Problem number two. And there's the guy who's sat in the little box, kiosk, on the exit looking at me thinking, what are you doing? You're supposed to be coming past me. The worst part about it was, is that I knew I had to drive past him in about a minute when I reversed with a flat tire. And I had to say this to him, because you have to show your receipts for what you've bought. I thought, I've got to now tell him, he's seen me and he knows what I've done, because he's seen this probably many times. Well, probably not. And he's probably thinking, oh, this has brought a bit of a colourful morning for me. And I drove up to him and I drove past the kiosk, and as I come up to the kiosk, I said, I've got nothing. I didn't buy anything. And he just watched me drive out with the flat tires at the front. I had to literally park at the other side of the road from him. And he saw me calling up to get the tires, someone to come and to repair it. 
I don't know, it cost me £100. I had to then go to the tire place all morning out of work. This followed problem after problem. I'm saying, why, Lord? Why is it you didn't tell me? Why didn't you come and sit there, the helper, the Holy Spirit, and tell me not to drive out of that place? Why? These problems come. And we have to look at them and say, Lord, I don't understand why I'm getting such a barrage of one thing after the other that seems to build up. I want to tell you that spikes in the wheel is nothing like persecution in church in Macedonia. It's nothing like it. We want to thank ourselves, thank God that we are not in their type of persecution, but yet they pleaded to give. I eventually got the car sorted. I had to tell Emma and I had to tell my work friends, which is quite embarrassing. But these things happen. I could give you countless examples of times when I think, what is going on? We used to have a car. We had a black Mondeo. Again, there are other makes of cars. But the Mondeo we had, it was a major, major issue. I dread it when Emma would phone up and say to me, Phil, there's another thing gone wrong. What is it? This is not working. I can't. One day she phoned me up. We had to pick the children up from, from work after work, and we were struggling. And I said, she phoned me up, and she said, the, the car, it's not working. It won't start. I said, well, give it another try. <laughs> no, 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 that don't work. Give it another go. So I ended up going over to her work. The problems occurred. We had to have it towed to somewhere to be fixed. I ended up, it was so serious, because I knew we had to get the kids to nursery for a full week. There was no other option. I had to go and hire a car for a week, which was even more money. And I'm thinking, Lord, you don't let, you can't, why are you letting this happen to me? If just these things would work. And then the things got worse. I get phone calls from the garage. The car's worse than we thought. Well, keep it then. <laughs> if only I could have rode the kids around on the bike for a week. I mean, Emma wasn't having it. But these trials come. And we've got to be ready for them. We've got to be ready. To let them produce a greater treasure than just money. There's a treasure in you that it will create that is worth more than any financial giving. 1 Peter 1.7 says this, These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Boy, that day will be better than any Ridgens day, won't it? That day will be great when he returns in all his glory. I'll tell you what, the trials that you have, they'll seem so small. And you'll be saying, all those days I used to moan at these little things that went wrong. And believe you me, I have a little moan as well. I'm not putting anyone down. And I'm sometimes saying, Lord, why? But one day when he returns, you see him coming on the clouds. That great and glorious day, everything will seem so insignificant to you. Why not enjoy it now? Because your redemption draws nigh. It's coming close. Enjoy the ride now. Don't worry about them. Let these trials test you. Plead to give. Plead to give through the trial. Plead to act in faith. 
Giving in a trial blesses other people, but it will build up you in the process. It will do something in you, so let's not avoid it. You see, when he said to the, the church, he says, you, you know, you're, you're doing all these things, but you're missing out on this thing. I want to encourage you this, that it's like going to the gym again. It's like taking your faith of giving to the gym and saying, I'm going to exercise this muscle. It's going to be a little bit difficult the first few weeks. But you've got to do it. Once you start getting into this lifestyle, you'll see the fruit from it. And you'll say, this is good. This is a good lifestyle. To seek first his kingdom and let all these other things be added afterwards. Number two today, to give is to live. To give is to live. Someone quoted this. He said, giving is not an extension of what you possess. It's an expression of who possesses you. It's not an extension of what you possess. Who is possessing you? Is Jesus the center? Is he inside of you? Is he stimulating your decisions and what you want to do? Because I'll tell you, when these people, they pleaded to give, that doesn't come from this world. That does not come from this world. Since when have you heard this? When have you heard this in your workplace on a Monday morning when things are going wrong for people? That they say, I'm really, really struggling at the moment. We're wondering what's going to happen. The roof collapsed the other day, but we're going to give. You never hear it. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you that you'll have this real desire to give in your trial. Mum always used to say to me when I was growing up, I used to watch them give and to tithe. <clears throat> if you don't understand, if you've never heard before, a tithe and offerings are two different things. Sometimes we think they're one, but the tithe is the something we should give our first fruits. Each time we receive and we get our funds, we should give our tithes. It's important to do that into the house. And giving is above and beyond that. It's saying, do you know what? I'm giving the first fruit because that's not even mine. It's yours, Lord. The giving is, I'm going to give in abundance. Because I know that you said, Lord, that I'll reap. Though that if I sow, I will reap. And we have to remember these principles. My mum, when I was growing up, I used to say, mum, you know, tithing, it's quite expensive, this kind of thing, isn't it? She said, son, she said, you cannot afford to not tithe. I thought, that sounds a bit strange. You'd have so much more money. You can't afford not to do it. I've seen people in my family live by this faith. And I've seen the results of doing so. God has never let them down. They've faced major trials. And he's never, ever let them down. When the person said to me, I tithe and I don't see all these problems vanish. I said, but what do you see? Count your blessings, name them one by one. That's the song we used to sing. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So many of us are looking at the issues rather than the blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 8. Verses 5 to 7, it said this. He explains why they give. 
He says, what explains it is this, that they'd first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us, the leaders. The other giving, that's the financial giving, it says, simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. What I want to tell you today is this, is that the best thing you can do is to give yourself to God first. Don't let anyone, my message today should not be the thing that forces people to give. It shouldn't be. It should come from inside. And my best advice is this, is not to preach a message so that more funds come. No, no, no. The best thing is this, give yourselves to him first. If you give yourselves fully to him, this will be an overflow. I won't even have to preach it. That's the most important thing that he says. He says, what explains it? He's trying to look at it thinking, what's going on here? What explains it's this? He says, they've first given themselves unreservedly to God. That's not holding back from God and to us, the leaders. <clears throat> the other giving simply flowed out. It's simply, it's not complex. It simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Before we give, practically, we need to give ourselves to God. We need to be unreservedly giving to him, not holding back anything in ourselves. Laying our lives down before him as a living sacrifice, fully to him. If you do that, his spirit will come inside of you and you will operate in a completely different way. You'll start to live in a completely different viewpoint because you are laying yourself down. If you want to know that a person that demonstrated this, it's Jesus himself. If you're saying, well, Jesus doesn't understand about the problems I've got. He doesn't understand that the catalytic converter went last week. He doesn't understand that the tires keep going or this is happening or the roof's falling in. Jesus knew. He knew that trials would come. He laid his life down. And he faced the trial. We read it earlier. It says this. In this scripture, he says, aren't you familiar with the generosity of our master? Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. We sung it earlier. Sam brought songs and I really believe God has spoke to us through the songs today. He doesn't know what I was preaching on. I thank God for his spirit. Royal robes we don't deserve. He laid down his life for you. So you can have royal robes. You can become rich. He says with one stroke, we became rich. He became poor on that cross. He became sin for us. One stroke. In other words, he wrote the check for you. He said, here it is. My life I'm going to give. I'm writing the check. I'm giving the best tithe and offering you can ever see. I'm giving my life. Everything. He sets the, the example. The ultimate example. Greater love has no one than this that he lays life down for his friends. We need to lay everything down. We need to give it all to God. Because Jesus paid the price on the cross. He was brutally murdered. 
brutally killed so that we could receive the riches from heaven, the riches of eternal life through this sacrifice. Amen. Our desire to give should be a simple overflow. Deuteronomy 8 says this, that God gives you the ability to produce wealth. I want to encourage you. If he says that he gives the ability, then he gave you your job. He gave you the ability to have these things. All the way through my career and what I've done, I used to thank God that he gave me what he gave me. Because I'll tell you, they used to say that, they say this, that every one of us are one salary, one check away from being on the streets if we're not careful. You can put too much emphasis and too much assurance in what you've got in your bank account. Make sure you're anchored to the Savior. I want to say this to you. If you say, I don't know about tithing, I don't know about giving, I don't know about this kind of outrageous faith of, 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 of not trusting in, in, the, in the system and trusting in the kingdom that is unseen. This is pretty serious stuff because you're asking me to give into something I don't always see the results for. I like to see results. People like to see something for their money. But I want to say this to you. God used to speak to me. He can speak to you whichever way he wants. But God used to speak to me in this way. I used to open my paycheck. When I got saved, no one told me to give. No one forced me to do anything. The Lord spoke to me by his spirit. And he put it in my heart to give. But I remember looking. And I used to think this. It must be the Holy Spirit I believe he spoke to me. I used to look at my... Uh, my P, whatever it is, the pay slip every single month. I used to hate seeing all the amount of tax that went off from the inland revenue. I'd sit there thinking, oh, if only the government had changed this. That would be brilliant. If I just had that extra little bit, then we could go on holiday, we could do this, we could do that. What am I getting for this? And I'd look at it. Let me tell you this. We struggle with the inland revenue of what we need to give in that column. But I'll tell you what, and I'm encouraging you today, that you should see another line on that pay slip. There should be one more line that's right at the very top, above every single one. Not bonus deductions. Not medical insurance deductions. No. There should be one and it's missing off all of ours who were born again believers. And the first one that should go before every single thing is this, that we should give our tithe to God. The first fruits of our labor. You might have a different view on that. My view is this, that if the inland revenue gets a first cut, then my king should get his first cut before they do. He should get the first cut He deserves to be on that column. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven in Philippians. Therefore, if you're going to give, you give into his citizenship, into into this citizenship, not into this kingdom. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Hallelujah. Will be poured out into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What measure stick have you got today? What measuring stick is your worth for God? 
When we give into his kingdom, he will provide for us. Amen. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. But it says this, and he will reward them for what they've done. If you give, he will, it will come back to you. It will come back to you. I know someone who gave into the building project, the very floor that you're sat on here. This very room that you're in. As cozy as it is from what we had before. When we did this building project, which in some cases, small money. It was a quarter of a million pound project. But someone contacted us and they gave. They don't even come to this church. And they offered £10,000 to this project. £10,000 check written to this church to put this floor in. They said this, God had spoke to them. If they gave the £10,000, God would reward and give 100000 If he sowed the seed of 10, it would, it would be multiplied and you would get 100000 He He wrote the check. He gave it to us. We got the 10000 Within months later, the council granted us 100000 to put this floor in. He obeyed. He could have given 100000 maybe. But he obeyed God's instruction. He said, yep. I'm going to do what I think you've said, because I believe. And he did. We believe. We said, well, thank you so much. We're going to believe that you will reap as well, but we also will see this fruition of what God is trying to do. And let me tell you, he did it. I was there, sat in front of 14 counselors with Peter Cavana that evening. We were shaking, wondering whether we we're going to get the money. And I think out of 15 counselors, 14 stood up and said, give King's Church 100,000. Amazing. They didn't need to do that. But God was with us. God was with us. He's also with us now as we do what we're doing. That's why I'm sure I've had the experience to know and see behind the scenes of his provision. That when I embark on such projects, I don't go into it blind. I trust my God. I trust him. Finally, to finish, the heart knows best. Paul said to the church in Corinth, your heart's been in the right place all along. It's been in the right place all along. He says, you've got what it takes to finish up. Go for it. In other words, he says this. I'm not coming to tell you about how cool and good the Macedonian church is. I'm coming to say this. Look at what they've got. You're pretty good in these areas. Actually, your heart has always been in the right place. You've had a fantastic heart. To give. It's just that it's grown a little bit stale. In fact, if you read into it, it talks about the fact that they started off this giving to this Jerusalem fund, this what we'll call the Jerusalem project. The fact that the Macedonian church were giving to this project. It sounds like the Corinthian church also started off well, but they kind of eased off. Maybe things got focused got on other things in the church, and that can happen for us. We can lose this emphasis on the giving aspect because we're enjoying so much of the other aspects. But he says, he doesn't put them down and say, look, you haven't got it together. You don't understand. He says, no, your heart's been in the right place. Just let's see this come to fruition again. And as an example, I'm going to show you that another church is doing it and they're pretty struggling. He says, you start out so well. All you need to do is get back to that faith gym. Exercise that muscle, that muscle that's not been getting that. And it's going to be difficult at first. Recently, I went out on my bike. I bought a new bike to go out and do some road riding. 
And I went out with a friend of mine. He says, come out. And this guy's a serious rider. I used to do a lot of riding when I was younger. I used to go for miles cycling. And I went out with this guy. And I was keeping up. He's got his bikes way more expensive than mine. Lighter. And he was, he was going. And I kept up with him pretty much. We went on about 35 miles. And at the end of this ride, this, this guy, is, I'm just right behind him. In fact, sometimes I was, I was in front of him. And he's going, wow, you know, you're doing quite well. And then we got to about eight miles from the finish. And I said, he said, should we just stop here and work out which way we're going to go? I said, let's stop. I got off the bike. I'm not joking. As soon as I stopped, all my muscles seized <laughs> immediately. And I'd not been on the bike for a while, you see. So I was doing quite well. And then all of a sudden, it all just went wrong. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Just give me a minute to adjust. <laughs> Literally. And I got back on the bike. Honestly, for the last five miles, I was in pain. My speed, my speed, uh, the, the average speed dropped by about seven or eight miles an hour. He was way ahead in the distance. And it looked like I could not ride to save my life. And it was all because of these muscles that were just not used to it. They'd seized. Let me tell you this. Now when I go out, within a week, do you know what I did? I went out a week later and I kept on going on this same ride. I was doing it with no problem at all. Because you need to exercise this muscle. You need to exercise it. At first it will be difficult, but the more you do it, it becomes easier and it's second nature to us. The heart knows best. You should give from your heart. It should be by faith from the heart, not just doing it because you feel that someone's told you to do it. I never want to tell anyone to give and they think, he told me, so I've got to do it. No, I prefer someone not to give for years and to understand and hear it from the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, this is key. Second Corinthians 9. Second, the, this, the next chapter after we've just been reading, it says, Paul says to the church in Corinth, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul said right at the end of what we read at the beginning, he says, the heart will regulate the hand. In other words, the real giving that comes from the Holy Spirit, the heart is challenged and stirred, and it will regulate your hand to give. No one should be taking your hand and telling you what to do. Let the Holy Spirit do that. He will show you what to give at the right time. But I want to encourage you today, the outrageous faith living is not just praying for the sick. It's not just seeing the miraculous. It's not just doing all these amazing things that we hear about. This is actually just as important because what it does is it reemphasizes our relationship with Jesus of what, how serious we are. That's what it does. God is, God does not need your money. He has got storehouses full of snow. He's got everything he needs to provide for everyone. If we trust him, he doesn't need your little bit of money. 
But what he's looking at, he's looking at the one, and if you read it through the Bible in many examples that I'm not going to refer to today, he's looking at the ones who, not who've got the most money, but are giving sacrificially in faith. Because the moment that happens, he doesn't think, wow, I've got another bit of money in the pot. No. He looks and thinks, wow, what a heart. That's my son. That's my daughter. They understand what it is to live in faith in the unseen. To operate in something even though they cannot see. He will open up the windows of heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. If the worship team could just come back as I close. I want to ask you today, have you neglected this? Maybe you have neglected this characteristic, just like the church in Corinth who, they were insightful, articulate, they could, they could preach a good message, I bet. Very wise, they knew their, knew their stuff, knew their scriptures, probably avoided these ones. But they were articulate. He says, you know what, Corinth, you're doing pretty well. You're good on the sheet. In fact, if someone looked at your website, they'd think, wow, that's amazing. Corinth's a cool church to go to. Some of the best preaching around. They're passionate, passionate worshippers. But when it comes to giving, you're holding back a little bit. Maybe just look at the Macedonians' website. They've not had time to do their website because they've been under persecution. But they still want to give. They still want to give. I want to ask you today. Outrageous faith is all about stepping out in faith for destiny. Living by faith as we looked at in the first week. But it's also about how we give. This is just an exercise for you to operate in this faith lifestyle. And I want to encourage you, even though it's Christmas, it's a difficult season. It's not about how much you're going to give. Do you know what? I'm so pleased that God blesses us and he's doing what he's doing already. And I want to thank everyone for who does give and who does faithfully do it because I'm not preaching to some people in here and saying we're like the church in Corinth. I'm saying, just remember, it's key, isn't it? We all need to remind ourselves because we want to make sure we have all the attributes that God wants for us and characteristics as a church. So we are really living by his will. Amen. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.